for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten exchanges of clothing. For the most part, we're going to stay in our text this evening, but the sermon actually includes the first 14 verses. So we're going to look at 14 verses in 2 Kings chapter 5. Have you ever known anyone who refused to take good advice? Someone perhaps that may ask for something, someone that may be inquiring of your particular knowledge on a subject, yet in the end they had a better plan. What about famous people? We read about famous people, we hear about them in the news that make poor choices and in some way find themselves in trouble. And because of their celebrity status, they feel like that they are uh, or should be shown preferential treatment. You know, then I begin to think about people that are very wealthy, perhaps movie stars, maybe sports figures or other people. And I think how that a lot of them have misused their wealth over the years, have abused it, have not properly used it in the ways that God would have us to use. And have you ever thought, because I know I have, boy, if I had that wealth, what great things I can do and how happy I would be personally. Well, what I think we fail to think of when we have thoughts like that, not that we couldn't do good things with money, but I think what we fail to realize is that Having money is not the answer to all of the world's problems. Now, I want to I be clear, and I want everybody to understand, there's nothing wrong with having money. I enjoy money. We have to have it if we're going to live, right? But we have to use it for the way God intended. Nothing wrong with being wealthy, nothing wrong with being very wealthy. But we still have to use that money as a tool, and we have to understand exactly what we can do with it and what we can't do with it. When we consider... Both of these scenarios, whether someone refuses to take good advice or whether someone tries to solve the world's problems financially through a financial means, we look at those two scenarios and, and if we look at them long enough and we study them deep enough, we most likely will come to the conclusion that those two lines of thought are flawed in some way. When offered sound advice from someone that knows what they're talking about and not to accept it is, is flawed. To believe that we are owed some kind of preferential treatment or that in some way our finances can solve all of our problems in many ways, that is a flawed sense of thinking. With that in mind, I want us to turn our attention to Naaman. But what does the account of Naaman have to do with us in the 21st century? What can we take away from the historical account of a man named Naaman and apply it in today's world? Because if we cannot look at the historical people of the Bible and make some kind of an application in today's world, then it's useless for us to study them. 
And they've been given to us for a reason. Paul said, whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning. Romans 15.4 So we need to be able to take a look at these things. As we do this, as we're turning our attention this evening to Naaman of 2 Kings chapter 5, I want us to make some application to our lives. Now everything we discuss may not be applicable to each of us, and most likely it will not be. But there is something that all of us can take away from the account of Naaman. And I want us to begin with his description. We have been given a very great description of Naaman. Naaman had a many great decorations. He was well known. He was the host of the king of Syria, verse 1. Now what that means is he was the general, the ruling authority over the armies of the king of Syria. In fact, there was one man in the whole of the nation that had more authority and power than Naaman. And that was the king. Naaman was in charge of and had control of the armies of the king. His description continues saying he was a man of great authority and position. He was popular among the people. And we know that he was because of those great victories that he had against Syria's enemies. In fact, when we look at this idea of Naaman, we learn fairly quickly within the text that he was a man chosen by God and used by God. God used heathen nations a lot throughout the histories of the world. And many of those heathens that were members of those nations became believers in God. And I think by the time we get to the end of this account, we're going to understand that Naaman falls into that category. Upon his head were the laurels of victory and upon his chest were the medals of honor and valor. Naaman was truly a great man. Furthermore, which was rare in those days in the oriental courts of the day when all people took advantage of whatever opportunity they had to be able to dethrone a king or depose a king or to uh, start some kind of a coup. Naaman was a very trusted aide. The king trusted Naaman. It was upon Naaman whom he could depend. And he had all loyalty and trust in this man. He was an honorable man. Not just great with his master, but honorable among the soldiers and the people. He must have been very fair and just. The description continues saying he was also a mighty man in valor, meaning he was courageous and strong in his person. He was the kind of person of whom people would look to for help and who wanted him to lead them because he was a man of action and he was one that could be trusted. The king looked to him because of those very attributes and the king did trust him. He is reminiscent really once we begin to think about it of of Cornelius the centurion of Acts chapter 10, isn't he? Cornelius had many of these great traits and characteristics. I think it's clear to the reader, Naaman had a whole lot going for him. Naaman was in a good place in life. He was well paid for the duties he performed. He was highly thought of in and outside of the palace. But sadly, see this description of Naaman goes beyond his decorations. The description of Naaman does not stop at him being a great man of valor. 
There's not a period there. There's a comma. And following that comma are five words that also lend themselves to His description. But they're not decorations. It's not a decoration. Something that would be proud to be shown. Not a pen that He could wear upon His chest. Naaman, within His description, had a great disease. But he was a leper. Had a lot of good things going on in his life. But he had some bad things as well. I want us to notice that just because someone is honorable, just because someone has great riches and wealth, does not mean that that individual has everything that he needs. In fact, he may be lacking in a lot of areas and may be lacking in the most important areas of life. And I believe Naaman fits that description. He had a disease. It was a terrible disease. In fact, it was a terminal disease. Now, I don't know how many years of life Naaman had left in him, but it couldn't have been too many because that's just simply the way leprosy works. He was on a time frame, so to speak. His time was ticking down. When we think of the idea of leprosy, leprosy is also used as a type in the Bible. You have types and you have anti-types. Leprosy is often used in place of the word sin. I want us to think of it this way. Have you ever heard about someone passing away into eternity from this life and And you hear a lot of people say, what a great man he was. What a moral upstanding man he was. He wouldn't lie, he wouldn't steal, he wouldn't cheat. He was faithful to his wife, he loved his children. But he was not a Christian. That's sad, isn't it? Again, I think we see the similarities with Cornelius in that statement. Cornelius had a lot going for him as well, didn't he? But he wasn't a Christian. He was a devout man who believed in God. But that wasn't what he needed. I think when we look at this idea of someone going into eternity, having those characteristics, those are characteristics that we all need to have. But what's the most important characteristic? Being a Christian. Being a faithful Christian. Because if we are faithful Christians, all of those other things will be a part of our lives. The one thing Naaman did have going for him though, and I think this is a credit to the man, he knew that he had leprosy. He understood that he had something that would take his life, and he knew that he had to do something about it. Before we can ever address a problem, we have to understand that there is a problem, right? Naaman didn't go through life saying, oh, I'm okay. My mother or my father never had to deal with leprosy, so I'm not even going to act as if I have leprosy. That's not what Naaman did. Naaman understood he had a problem. And he had to address that problem. Now fortunately for him, he was given the opportunity to make the proper decision. Naaman had a servant girl. Now this little girl was from the northern kingdom of Israel. She came to be in Syria because she was kidnapped. Raiding parties came down from the north. This little girl was jerked up out of her homeland, probably around the age of 14 or 15. Jerked up out of the home of her parents. 
taken from the presence of her brothers and her sisters, if she had any, maybe even seen her parents lose their lives and taken off to a foreign nation and put into slavery. You know, I have an idea as I think about this. If that had happened to me, I might be a little bitter. I might be a little upset about that. I might be wondering where in the world was God when that was happening to me. I might think of just throwing up my hands and saying, you know, why continue? This is the worst thing that could happen. Where's the God who I've been worshiping all this time? Where's the God that I have been loyal to all of these years when I was kidnapped and taken into a foreign nation? Where is that God? We don't read that, do we? That wasn't her mindset. That sort of reminds me of Joseph. That same thing happened to him, didn't it? I think another application to this may be the fact that when we begin to feel so bad about ourselves that so many terrible things are happening, there is someone else in the world that has it much worse. I've mentioned this before to to a few of us personally. My sister has a, her youngest son has cystic fibrosis. And last year, thank God, they produced a medication for that little boy that takes care of his type of cystic fibrosis. He went from a maximum lifespan of maybe 40 years to a normal length of life. You know, not a one of my girls are unhealthy. Sometimes when I get to thinking about how mistreated I've been in this life, I just think of my sister. Not just my sister. There are a lot of people in the world whose children are not as healthy as we'd like for them to be. So when we begin to think something is terribly wrong, we need to look at other people, don't we? I think that's an application from this young girl. Now this young girl, this young slave girl, she didn't give up though, did she? She was evidently very sincere in her service to God and to her new master. We don't read about her saying, well, that's good enough for him after all he's done to me. I'm glad he's got leprosy. I'm not going to tell him about the cure. I was stolen from my homeland, taken out of the very arms of my mother. Why would I want to help him? But she appeared to actually have sympathy upon this man. Wanting him to get better. And instead of retaliation, she showed great concern for him. I think that's an amazing statement. She had sympathy for the great man of Syria who had made her a slave. And in her is something that we ought to be admiring. I don't see any resentment. I don't see any hatred. But I do see a desire to help. I see a little girl that in her heart there was a yearning that grew from her love for the God of heaven to help someone else. And she remembered Elisha the prophet. Now that has implications about the kind of home she grew up in, doesn't it? Here we have yet another application for today. This little girl was brought up in a home, reared in a family who believed in God. 
She was brought up to love the God of heaven. She was brought up to believe in the God of heaven. And not just some mental assent. She understood what he could do. And we see it in her life. Look, if we're going to raise children in this world, we're going to rear them up to be what God wants them to be. We have to train them about God, don't we? We have to tell them about who the God of heaven is. We have to allow them to see us live as people who believe in the God of heaven. Notice what Paul said, Ephesians 6 verse 4. He commanded. It's not just a good idea. Anyone that has children, anyone who has a child, has been commanded to bring those children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Period. And it's not up to the school system to do that. That falls on mom and dad. That is evidently what happened in the case of this little girl. You know, when we begin to look at it though, helping others is a very Christian concept. It's a very follower of God concept, isn't it? Jesus said this, Luke 6, 28. He said, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. That sounds just like this little girl, and we don't even know what her name was. But we know all about her, don't we? All that we need to know. Jesus taught us to love all people. Not with that brotherly love that is so easy to extend. Now we're to have that. But it's easy to love someone who loves you back. Didn't Jesus say even the publicans do that? But it's quite difficult to love someone who wants you to die. But can that be done? It happened about 2,000 years ago, didn't it? Christ hanging upon the cross, people walking by making fun of Him, wagging their fingers in His face, mocking Him. Oh, He could uh, raise the dead, but He can't bring Himself down from the cross. Oh, He could have come down from the cross. The nails were not what kept Him there, was it? His great love for us, agape love, doing what's best for someone, whether you like them or not. See, we need to understand what love is. Agape love, helping someone. I never could understand. How can I love someone who wants to kill me? I just never could understand it. I said, there's got to be something else. I'm missing something somewhere. Well, I was. I was missing the whole picture. We're not talking about that warm, fuzzy feeling that we get when we see someone that we enjoy being around. We're talking about doing what's right because it's right. Whether it's a benefit to us or not, but it is a benefit to that person. There are a lot of things we don't enjoy doing in this life, right? The best thing that, I guess, that helped me to understand this a little bit was when we rear children and from time to time we have to spank them. Well, we don't really enjoy doing that, do we? But we do. Why? Because we love them. Well, what if that just doesn't sound right, does it? I heard that growing up my whole life. I said, I don't, that's the biggest lie that's been thrown upon man in the history of mankind. You, you're whipping me because you love me. Well, when I got grown and I started to have children of my own, I understood what my dad was talking about. 
We don't enjoy that, but we understand if we want to guide them down the right way, we do what's best for them. And sometimes a good old whipping is what's best for them, right? I told Brother Jim Waldron one time when I was in India with him, they had a little trouble out of a brother that had stolen some money and had caused some trouble within the church. I said, now brother, what he needs is a good old whipping. He said, now brother, we can't go whip him. I said, well, if you do it in love, you can, you can go whip him. Of course, I was joking about that, but you see what we're talking about, right? Paul said, Galatians 6 verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Well, this little girl, she went to Naaman's wife, the lady whom she waited upon, and she told her, she said, Boy, I wish my master was in my country, because there's a prophet of God down there that could heal him from his leprosy. Well, someone overheard that. Went and told Naaman about what the little girl said. See, Naaman now, he saw an opportunity to rid himself of this problem. I want us to notice what he did. This is application for today. What did Naaman do? He said, okay, let me get back with you on that. Naaman didn't have time to get back with someone on that. He was dying. He immediately addressed the problem, didn't he? He saw an opportunity to take care of a problem and he took it. We need to understand how important that is. We cannot wait. We don't, we're dying. We can't wait till tomorrow. We've got to do it today. So he decided to do something about his problem. And he believed that girl. I wonder why. Did he believe her simply because she was a slave? I don't think so. I think what we've got here is another application for today. This girl claimed to be a faithful Jew. And evidently that's the way she lived her life. And he saw that. He believed her. He trusted in her. She obviously lived what she preached. And so she put Naaman on the path to taking care of his problem. Now he realized he had a problem. He understood that he had a problem that he didn't have a cure for. He didn't have an answer for that problem. And he realized he needed to do something. And he was in the process of doing it, but he still made a mistake. He went to the wrong person. Oh, boy, doesn't that happen all the time. Now look, if you need someone to teach someone how to lead singing, don't come to me. I'm the wrong person. Okay, you've got to know that. I think we've got to know our limitations, right? That's one of mine. One of my many. Well, Naaman first, he went to his king. He told the king what he had heard. He told the king that there was a prophet down in the northern kingdom of Israel who could heal him of his leprosy, and he wanted to go there. Well, the king wrote a letter, sent Naaman off with the letter, and Naaman makes the same mistake a second time. Goes to the king. Delivered the letter to the king of Israel, but with it he brought a lot of money. Brought a lot of riches. You see, he didn't understand you can't buy God's favor. God doesn't need money. God created money. It's His anyway, isn't it? Paul said in Acts chapter 17, 
God doesn't dwell in temples made by the hands of men. You know how these temples looked? Very ornate, had gold and jewels and all kinds of things. And God doesn't live in a temple made by the hands of men. He won't fit in there. God encompasses everything. And besides, it belongs to Him anyway. See, He was making a mistake. He didn't realize what was good and what wasn't good. Naaman didn't. Have you ever noticed watching some of these televangelists? Sometimes I watch them, and I used to watch them because it was a little bit of comic relief to me, some of the things they would do, but the more I watched them, just the sadder it got. You know, they want money, 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 send in a little money. You know, there's a brother back in Memphis made a statement to me one time. He said, you ever watch those preachers on TV? They always want you to send in a little seed money. We've heard that, haven't we? Send in a little seed money. Send $10 or, or $20. Or... But see, the idea is it's seed money. And when you plant it by sending it to them, well, it comes back and, and you're going to really reap the benefits. Well, there's only one problem with that. I don't read in the Bible where money's the seed. I read in the Bible where Jesus said the Word, the Gospel, is the seed. Let's plant the seed. It doesn't say about anything about collecting all the money you can in the world. See, Naaman didn't understand that. He was impressed with riches. All that gold, all that silver, all those changes of clothes that were worth their weight in gold. See, he was on the wrong trail. Well, the king got the, got the letter, right? Oh, he became angry. He became so angry, he tore his clothes. He didn't know what to do. This is the first time he had heard about a man named Naaman with leprosy. What am I going to do? He says, what, what's he mean bringing this letter to me? Does he think I'm God? Can I bring life back to the dead? He thought he was looking for a fight. He said, this man's coming down here to, to find a way to go to war with me. Wrong, wrong. He misread it, didn't he? He became suspicious of his guest. Here's another present day application. Unlike the little servant girl, what did the king do? Oh, he went to complaining. He didn't know what he was going to do. He was scared. Someone's going to take the kingdom from me. He's worried about material things. He had the same opportunity that the slave girl had, and not one time did he mention Elisha or God. I found myself in that same position before. Having an opportunity, and I didn't mention Jesus or God, I didn't mention anything about the Scriptures, that's a present day application. See, he could have taken the opportunity to point Naaman in the direction of the power of God. But he didn't do it. He was thought only of himself. Well, Elisha heard the news. It says the word came to Elisha. And when Elisha heard what was going on, he sent a message to the king. And he said, in verse 8, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Why are you tearing your clothes? Let him come now to me, he said, and he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. That sounds like a man of confidence, doesn't it? 
That sounds like someone that's faithful. That sounds like someone who said, I've got an opportunity to teach someone who is not a follower of God. And he took that opportunity. But I want us to notice what followed led to Naaman's disgust. That's our second point. Naaman came with his horses. He came with his chariots. He stood at the door of Elisha. And he wanted to receive an announcement of healing. Well, he was ready. He was headed in the right direction. Well, he was kind of going in the right direction, wasn't he? What a contrast between the splendor of the Syrian general, his, his cohort of servants, and then you have the humble house of the prophet Elisha. He pulled up to the home of Elisha, he got out of his chariot, and he expected some great thing to happen. He didn't know what was great and what wasn't great. He thought all of these riches was great. He thought all of these material things was great when he missed what was great. He missed it. Now that didn't happen at Elijah's house. He didn't come out and make a big to-do over Naaman. Naaman was outside with his entourage. Elisha was in the house and he sent out the servant. Didn't hardly go the way Naaman wanted it to go or thought it ought to go. Gehazi comes out and he tells this great man, go down to the river Jordan and dip seven times and you'll be cleansed. Naaman didn't understand that. You know, when people come to God with a preconceived notion of how it ought to be, don't they normally go away a little bit disappointed? Don't they go away feeling like they've missed out on something that they really, it wasn't what they thought it ought to be? Well, the announcement didn't go the way he wanted. And boy, did he become angry. He was upset. It upset him to the point where he could, he could hardly take it. Notice what he said. He said, behold, I thought. You know, when I have a Bible study with someone, I, I like to sit down and tell them right up front, doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't make a bit of difference what Rick Owens thinks about anything. What matters is, what does God say about it? Right? But you have Naaman, behold, I thought. That's a thinking problem. He had backwards thinking. Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and, and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He already had it figured out. Why bother going to Elisha? He already knew how it was supposed to be, didn't he? You see, Naaman, he had a better plan. That's kind of like the person that we talked about in the beginning. They come and they say, you know, I have some financial problems. What do you think I ought to do? Well, you tell them. Or they come and they say, you know, I'm having a little strife in my marriage. What do you think I ought to do? Well, you tell them. They come and say, you know, I have a daughter or I have a son and this is going on in their lives. You know, I don't know what to do. And you tell them. And they never take the advice. When we read Titus chapter 3, and the older women are to teach the younger women, and the older men are to teach the younger men, and when the younger men and the younger women go to the older ones and they receive this good advice, but yet they go away with a better plan, what do we expect? See, Naaman had a better plan. He didn't like what he heard. 
He said, no, no, it needs to be this way. I'm Naaman. I'm the general of the army. You know who I am. You mean to tell me you're not even going to come out and make a big scene over me? Hey, anyone that knows me wants to get to know me. Didn't mean anything to Elisha. And certainly didn't mean anything to God. That kind of reminds me of Solomon. Proverbs 14 verse 12. Solomon said, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, Naaman was headed in the right direction and then he completely got off track. Naaman was just a gnat's eyelash away from losing his life. Behold, I thought. But what he thought was not what the prophet did. And that just messed up everything for Naaman. I imagine that he did think, you know, he didn't even have enough respect for me to come out and look at me face to face. He didn't show me the honor I deserved. He didn't come out and heal me right on the spot. That leprous dying man had the presumption to decide how he ought to be healed. What's the present day application? Naaman had contempt for God's plan. It happens today, every day, all over the world. To him it was ignorant and foolish. He was thinking, why should I go down to this muddy Jordan River? Look at all those rivers I have up in Damascus. Aren't they ten times as good as this Jordan River? Now this is a crucial moment right here in the life of Naaman. He can... Go one way or the other. He's already leaning toward the wrong way. And Satan was right on his heels helping him out. Helping push him so Satan could gain the victory. Just as he does with us every day. Notice how he appealed to Naaman. First, he used reason. Now he said, Naaman, it's not reasonable that they would want you to go get in that water. Any thinking human knows better than that. He argued, are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? That just makes sense, doesn't it? That's reasonable. What do you mean get down into a pool of water and let someone dunk me? I don't understand that. You tell me why I have to do that. That happened during Naaman's time, didn't it? It's happening today. Well, he also played on Naaman's pride. He pointed out to him how he was treated. Well, he didn't even come out and show you any respect, Naaman. Why do you want to listen to that person? The great honorable Naaman came from the king of Syria, sent by the king of Israel. I paid for services that should have been rendered to me. You see, because he brought the gold and he brought the silver and he brought the clothes, God owed him. It's not how it works. We can't buy God's favor. But he was sent to a lowly dwelling of a prophet. And then he just sent away. Without notice. <laughs> Going down to Jordan. So he went away in a rage. How many people today leave in a rage when they read those words in the Scripture? 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Have you ever heard someone say, well, my mother and my father didn't do that. Pastor didn't tell me I need to do that. The preacher didn't say I need to do that. My friend didn't say I need to do that. Doesn't matter what anyone else says, does it? Doesn't matter. Never take the word of a preacher on something that is going to cost you your soul or the word of anybody else as far as that goes. Read what the Bible says. At that moment, one of the most courageous servants in all of the history of mankind stood up and made his presence known. He said, Father, if the prophet had bade you do some great thing, would you not have done it? Now notice what the man had already done. He came with this entourage of many servants. He brought all kinds of wealth with him. He had already done a great thing, but he couldn't recognize what was great and what wasn't. At least on the Mount of Transfiguration, even though Peter made a terrible mistake, he did say, it's good to be here. He could recognize that. Naaman was so used to the material. He was so used to having his way, he had too much pride he could not yield. You know, this was a wise and a courageous servant. And Naaman did prove his own greatness and humility. He swallowed his pride, and that's exactly what it took. How many people do you imagine, go into eternity every day unprepared? What if someone had advised them in the way that Naaman's servant advised him? Maybe things would have been different. But he did have a change of attitude and that led to his deliverance. And that's our final point. He heard what the, the, the servant said. You know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Sometimes you can, you know, I can sit around and I can listen to something and not really be putting it together, what's going on. I'll sit at my desk when I'm in the office doing work and I'll play classical music. It's kind of playing in the background. I'm not really paying that much attention to it, but I can hear it a little bit. It doesn't really distract me. But I'm not really hearing what's going on. You see, that was Naaman. He heard. He heard a noise. He heard someone communicating to him. But see, he wasn't what he wanted to hear. And finally, this other servant, he said, why don't you do what the prophet said? And he heard. Then he heard. He, he listened. See, that problem exists today. Someone says, well, God's plan doesn't make any sense to me. I want us to notice some things. Let's look back over the history of man and commandments that God has given out. If you will notice, often God will give a commandment and in between that commandment and the receiving of that promise is often an arbitrary command. Why it's in there, I don't know. He'll give a commandment. There'll be another commandment that probably no one truly understands why he asked that. And then the promise. Notice, march around Jericho. Then the walls will fall down. Wash in the pool of Bethesda. Then you'll be healed. Look on the brazen servant and you'll be healed. All of that could have been accomplished without that middle commandment. If God had chosen not to have added it. But He did choose to add it. Why look on the brazen servant? 
serpent. I don't know why he chose a brazen serpent. Why the pool at Bethesda? Why choose that? Why march around the walls of Jericho? Why not do something else? Why get down into the water? I don't know why he chose that. No one does. But there are some things that we do know. We know what it does for us, right? Why did God tell Naaman go to the river Jordan and dip seven times? Why not eight? Why not three? I don't know, but I know what it would. the end result was cleansed of leprosy. Why use water? Why get down in water? I don't know, but it takes our sins away. Why did God choose water to be the place where we come into contact with Christ's blood? I don't know. I've said this a lot. If I was coming up with a plan of salvation, we'd be out in the yard with a shovel. We'd dig a hole. We'd cover ourselves up with dirt. That's the closest thing I can think of to being buried. And then we'd come up out of that, and then that's the way it was. That's not the way we do it, is it? Why choose water? I don't know, but God chose water. And why do I question Him? Why do I want to be presumptive? I don't know why he chose the method. I just know what it does for him. That's all we need to know. Why do we need to believe on him? Because he told us to believe on him. He gave us the evidences. He said to repent of past sins. Stop living in a sinful way. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Get down in the water and be immersed. Come up a new Christian. I know what the end result is. That's all I have to know. Why water? I don't know. I'm not going to waste my time on it. God knows. But when he heard, he heeded, didn't he? He humbled himself. He went and dipped seven times, and guess what happened? He was healed. That didn't surprise Elisha. He knew what would happen. He had to get rid of pride, didn't he? Solomon said, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That man almost lost his life physically and spiritually because of pride. Then, of course, he was healed. Elisha said he'd be healed. Skin was restored. I think we learned a whole lot of things from this. I think one of the most important things that we can learn from this, if there's nothing else you remember from this sermon tonight, I hope you take away this thought. Do what God says to do in the way He says to do it, because He said to do it. That takes a whole lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? All we have to do is to do what He said. Jesus said His burdens were not grievous. We've been given the way in which we can be cleansed from sin. Not because I have to understand every single aspect in the sense of why did God choose that. But I can understand every single step and act and, and uh, uh, process that He's told me to do to be saved because it's very simple. He says it brings life to me and all I have to do is obey it. As we study the life of Naaman, I think we can learn a whole lot from his near mistakes. This is a man that lived thousands of years ago, but he was making the exact same statements that you and I hear on a regular basis. I don't understand. It just doesn't make sense. 
If you need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, if you need to become a Christian, do that. Do it in the way God said to do it because He said to do it. We talked about how to do that. If you've sinned, you've fallen away, and you haven't been faithful, come back to Him in the way He said to do it because He said to do it. Repentance and confession, prayer, and we're walking in the light again. If you need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.